0: Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: page 601 in the middle of chapter 41 Al-Tarebi writes that a Jew has to broaden his horizon has to broaden his that he has to think not only about himself but he also has to think that about being part of something larger than yourself that you are part of the Jewish people and therefore you can't just look at yourself as an individual that's serving God connecting with Hashem, that has a relationship with God, but you have to remember at all times even when you are personally, individually uh, serving Hashem and growing spiritually you always have to remember the Jewish people, the Jewish whole you have to constantly be thinking about the Jewish whole and that you are part of the Jewish whole and that your mitzvah is not only binding and connecting yourself, but it's also connecting the entire Jewish people this is a mindset this has to be part of your way of thinking that you're part of the community it's not just about yourself so you can't become spiritually selfish spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip you always have to be thinking about the whole the bigger picture and in general this is an idea in Judaism when you are When you are suffering, you remember it's not only you you that's suffering. How do we comfort the mourner? May God comfort you amongst the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. You are suffering. God is suffering. The entire Jewish people are suffering. Moses is still stuck in the desert. We're still in exile. It's not just about you. You are almost a symptom of something larger than yourself. When you are rejoicing, happiest day of your life, the day you're getting married, you found your loved one, your bashert the happiest day in your life what do we bless how do we bless the bride and groom under the chuppah and just like we're rejoicing today may we dance and rejoice in the streets of Jerusalem when Mashiach will come we're going to celebrate the marriage of the Jewish people and God so your personal joy is part of a bigger picture. Your personal pain is part of a bigger picture. And your personal joy is part of a bigger picture. We're always part of a bigger picture. There's always something much more going on than meets the eye. So you have to broaden your horizons. That's why the rabbi's enacted that all our prayers are said in the plural. Bless us. You don't say bless me. Heal us. You don't say heal me. Us. The community, the whole. I'm not the only one that suffers. And that's why in this one yesterday, the rabbis instituted that we say one blessing for health. How important is health in our life from 1 to 10? 10.
0: 11.
1: 11. One blessing to earn a good living, to be able to pay your bills and live comfortably. One blessing. How important is money in our life from 1 to 10? (laughs) Twelve? Twelve. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, we have five prayers for the coming of Mashiach. Each and every time we pray the silent prayer, we pray five blessings for the coming of Mashiach. Why? And we pray for Mashiach with the same urgency, just like when you pray for your health. When do you need your health? You don't say, well, God, who am I to question you? whenever in your infinite wisdom you decide to make me healthy maybe a month from now maybe in your time you know, God's second God's second you know the famous joke someone turns to God and says listen, you're infinite so to you, a million and one are all the same so God, do me a favor bless me with with your one bless me with a million dollars all of a sudden he hears a booming voice from heaven sure, just give me one minute <laughs> God's minute is a thousand years so fine so God, whenever you and your infinite wisdom will get around to decide to give me that's perfectly fine with me who am I to tell you how have to run your world I need parnasa. I need to pay my bills yesterday you pray with urgency so too when you pray for Mashiach you pray with the same urgency I need Mashiach now five times By the time you said the second blessing, I mean, God, you haven't brought him yet. So here I am again, again and again and again. Why are we minimizing the rabbis of the great assembly who instituted all these blessings 2300 years ago, 23 centuries ago, did they minimize the importance of the individual needs, our individual needs, that they reduce it to one prayer while the coming of Mashiach, we have five prayers coming of Mashiach. The answer is no. Because the rabbis of the great assembly were trying to instill in us the point that, we, that the rabbi is telling us here in the Tanya. A Jew has to think broader. When you are suffering, remember that you're not the only one that's suffering. Your neighbor is suffering, the world is suffering, God G- G- is suffering, Mashiach is suffering, Abraham is suffering, every Jew that ever lived. And therefore, It's a better way to pray for yourself Because when you have an issue When you have a problem, a difficulty in your life A challenge in your life Your challenge is part of a bigger challenge Of a bigger problem What will happen when Mashiach will come? And the big question will be answered resolved When the big question will be resolved All the individual questions will be resolved together with it When Mashiach comes Your individual health problems will be resolved Your individual financial problems Whatever problem you may have So it's a much better way of praying for yourself. As the rabbis say, if a person has a need and there's another person who has the same need and you pray for your friend, then God will answer your need. In other words, at the moment of your suffering, you're not so self-absorbed. You can sense another person's pain and you pray for him, then God is so pleased, God is so happy that you're not just thinking about yourself. You're not so self-absorbed and self-centered that no one else exists besides yourself when you're sensitive to another person's suffering. Like the, with the, the chassan under the chuppah, you break the glass. At, your, at the height of your joy, you remember the suffering of the Jewish people. You remember the suffering of the world. If a person could be so, so attuned in, to, then God will so, is so pleased that He will answer your prayer first. So this is a better way to pray for your personal needs when you plug in and you connect and you realize that there's a bigger picture so this has to be part of the thinking of a Jew it's not just about myself Judaism is not a loner's game it can't be a loner it can't be isolated you have to plug in you have to connect even while you're growing spiritually individually and you're climbing the mountain the spiritual mountain you always have to remember there's a bigger picture I'm part of something larger than myself That has to be part of the thinking. And the Rebbe took this idea and really fleshed it out and implemented it in the most practical way because he made every Jew in our generation realize you can't just live for yourself. You have to think about your neighbor. You have to think about the Jew you bump into, your friend. You have to think about them, Try to get them to do a mitzvah. Try to get them to light a Shabbos candle. Try to get them to put on an filler. Try to get them to put a mezuzah in their door. Don't just think about yourself. Don't be so selfishly, spiritually selfish, and so spiritually self-centered, and so spiritually self-absorbed, that you forget your belief is me and God, and you're climbing in heaven already. And you forget the Jew, my neighbor, my, my doctor, my dentist, my tennis partner, my fellow worker, who, due to no fault of their own, is completely ignorant of the Yiddish guy is not proud of their Jewishness, and you have the opportunity to join them and include them and try to make make Yiddishkeit available to them. So this has to become part of our thinking. So now Alter says, even though it may not be genuine for us, because after all, by nature, we are selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, and we and try to sublimate our nature we can try to harness that nature instead of being self-seeking you become spiritual you become a spiritual seeker which is wonderful and that's genuine as we're going to learn now but to really be selfless and really think about the other person let's be honest we care more about our own pinky when our own pinky hurts we care more about the pain of our own pinky than we care about millions of people dying in africa it's just the reality so let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's not kid ourselves that, that we don't sleep at night because someone else is suffering. We sleep like, like a baby. <laughs> it doesn't bother us. So yeah, so fake it. It doesn't matter. So it's not genuine. But nevertheless, make it part of your thinking. Make it part of your... Broaden your horizon. Because the truth is that we are connected. And the truth is that we, we all are there for each other. And we're all responsible for each other. So that's what we learned last week. And now he's going to say, page 601, we're in the third paragraph, but the union of a person's soul.
2: But the union of the person's own soul with its absorption into the light of Hashem, making them one. This is what every member of Israel desires, an absolute and utter truth, with all his heart and all his soul. Because of the natural love that is hidden in every Jewish heart to cleave to Hashem, and not, under any circumstance, to be parted or sundered or separated, like them forbid, from his blessed unity and oneness, even at the cost of his very life. This readiness for self-sacrifice surfaces, for example, when a Jew is forced by heathens to bow down to an idol. Even if merely going through the motions would satisfy them and they do not impose their belief upon him, The Jew will be ready to literally sacrifice his life so as not to be sundered from his unity with Hashem.
1: This personal connection that each and every one of us has with the Divine, this personal marriage, this personal relationship that each and every one of us has with Hashem, this is genuine. It's so genuine that in the moment of truth, you're ready to give up your life. You know, this is a moment of truth. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even make any sense. Why wouldn't you bow down to the idol? Why not? It's not idolatry. You don't believe in it. The only reason you would bow down is because you have a gun to your head. The guy who's holding a gun to your head knows that you don't believe in it. You laugh at him and you laugh at his idol. You hate him, you despise him, and you despise his idol. But even for appearances sake, just to bow down externally, superficially, for a Jew, it's not an option. Because you're married to God. And for you to be unfaithful to God, even for a moment, is simply not an option. You're ready to give up your life. This is genuine. This is a moment of truth. It's as real as it gets. You're not making any calculations. On the contrary, if you made calculations, your calculations would tell you, don't do it. But you're ready to give up your life. No questions asked. So, in other words, our relationship to God is so intense, is so powerful, is so genuine, is so real, that you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Even though Jews love life. We give up the whole Torah just to sustain life. You have to sacrifice Shabbat and eat on Yom Kippur and violate everything just to keep life, to sustain life. And here, you're ready to throw your life away in a moment. It's not even a question. To bow down to the idol. How many Jews throughout history would were burnt alive in the order of the phase would rather die than, God forbid, deny their Jewishness, bow down to the cross, deny their Jewishness, convert of the Jewish people even under the threat of death gave up their lives rather than deny their Jewishness not only the saints and the mystics and the scholars simple Jews, thieves, smugglers peddlers, prostitutes anyone, it's not even an option for a Jew to deny his Jewishness and to deny his connection with God it's simply not an option, a Jew is ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, this is for real it's as real as it gets, so this is your truth this is not, you don't have to fake it it's real your relationship to God is so alive it's so dynamic it's there, and, the, and even if you're not aware of it even if it's buried and submerged subconsciously but in the moment of truth it emerges we all have that picture imprinted in our mind after the six day war when they won the war and the kibbutzniks are standing by the, by the wall by the kotel with tears in their eyes one turns to the other and says tell me a Jewish prayer what do you mean, say Shema Yisrael? I don't know Shema Yisrael. But they were crying like babies, saying Shema Yisrael. So here was a Jew who grew up eating chametz and Pesach, eating Ham and Yom Kippur. And the moment of truth, he was crying like a baby. Couldn't explain it. Felt a connection, this eternal connection to his Yiddishkeit, to his Neshama. So that, that's our reality, that's our truth. This is not only the tzaddik. You don't have to be a tzaddik. Every Jew, no matter who you are, where you are, Shkenazi, Svardi, great, small, it doesn't matter. Every Jew has this live wire, this live connection. It's electrical connection. It's there. It's alive. It's vibrant. So this is reality. This is truth. This you don't have to fake and you don't have to pretend. Because how can you tell what a person is all about? in the moment of truth this is the moment of truth the moment of truth you're not lying you're not pretending so I know that this is what you're all about what's the connection between sacrificing your life and living a Jewish life studying Torah and doing mitzvot okay we all have a moment of truth that's a very dramatic moment when you're faced with a very dramatic choice like uh, Dan, uh, Dan Pearl intermarried and what did he do in the last minute of his life? He said, "I'm a Jew," and he's before his head. al Islan was sewed off. I'm a Jew, and he said, "Shema Yisrael," and that was that was that. But that's a very dramatic moment in your life. But what does that have to do with living your life every day of your life, studying Torah, doing mitzvot, praying? What does that have to do? Just because in a moment of truth, I'm ready to give up my life, I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. I'm a Jew, and no matter what, I'm, I'm connected and and I would rather give up my life than disconnect, be disconnected from my Jewishness, what does that have to do with my daily, living a daily life as a Jew? Thinking like a Jew, acting like a Jew, speaking like a Jew, following the code of Jewish law on a daily basis. What's the connection? This without the Rebbe is going to explain the connection.
0: Being engaged in the Torah and commandments and prayer is also a matter of actual surrender of the soul. Just as when it leaves the body at the end of 70 years. For then it does not think of bodily needs, but its thought is united with and clothed in the letters of the Torah and prayer, which are the word and thought of Hashem. And they, the soul and the letters of Torah and prayer, Hashem's thought and speech, truly become one. So when you learn Torah, when you in your daily life,
1: nothing dramatic, nothing earth-shattering, no one is holding a gun to you, no one is asking you to make the ultimate choice to kiss the cross or to bow down to the cross or, or die... A Wednesday afternoon, a regular day on the Upper East Side, the year 2009. Nothing dramatic, nothing earth-shattering. But when you go about studying Torah, or doing a mitzvah, or praying, or giving tzedakah, doing something divine, acting Jewish, thinking Jewish, at that moment, it's like the moment when a person passes away. When you pass away, you're all soul. Nobody. At that moment when you're studying Torah and doing mitzvot, you're also all soul and no body. You're not doing anything material. You're not doing anything egotistical. Why am I studying Torah? I'm not earning money. I'm studying Torah at this moment. I'm doing a mitzvah. A mitzvah is something divine. It's something godly. I'm praying to God. I'm doing something selfless. I'm giving tzedakah. I am not engaged in anything, anything materialistic. So what does that tell me? What that tells me is, when a Jew studies Torah and do mitzvot, what you're saying is that what is your essence? Your essence is soul, not body. Because we are not physical beings, human beings, physical beings that happen to have occasionally a spiritual experience. It's the exact reverse. The truth is, it's the exact reverse. We are essentially soul beings, spiritual beings, godly beings. That's who we are. That's our identity. Who happen to have human experiences. We eat, and we drink, and we sleep. But our essence is our soul. Our soul descends into this world. That's what a Yartzeit reminds us. A Yartzeit reminds us that the soul descends into this world on a journey. So essentially we are souls. Even when we're here, we're visiting. This is not who we are. This is not our identity. Our identity is our soul. That's our being. That's our core. That's our essence. We are here on a journey. We are here on a mission. We are are God's ambassadors. He sends our souls on a a journey to represent him here in this world. So when we engage in earthly things, taking care of our bodies, that's foreign to us. That's not who we really are. When we study Torah, we do mitzvot. Now we come alive. Now we are doing who we really are, what we're really all about. We feel at home. The soul feels at home. When the soul is engaged in material things, the soul is on a mission. The soul knows that it's sent to a foreign, alien, hostile environment and it has a mission to accomplish it doesn't feel at home when does the soul come back home? when it studies Torah and it does a mitzvah the soul feels at home because the soul is back in heaven when you're studying Torah you're back in heaven you don't, a Jew doesn't study Torah in order to get to heaven when you study Torah you feel like you're in heaven because you're surrounded by the divine divine words divine letters divine thoughts your mind is wrapped around with the divine ideas the Torah is God's mind So when a Jew studies Torah and you're making contact with the divine, you're connecting with the divine. When you do a mitzvah, you're connecting with the divine. When you're praying, you're talking to God. When you're acting selflessly and giving, doing an act of goodness and kindness, helping another person, doing an act of tzedakah. So you become godly and godlike, just like God gives us fortuitously. We, in turn, also become godly and godlike and continue and give and share the blessings that God blessed us with. At that moment, you're acting divine. You feel at home. The soul suddenly feels at home. So it's like the soul after 120 years, after the soul passes away, when all you are is soul, no body. So when you are engaged and occupied with Torah, mitzvah, you're back home, you're in heaven. You're not doing anything material, you're not engaged in anything material, anything egotistical. You're engaged in something purely divine, purely spiritual. And that's your true essence. So, in other words, The fact that a Jew is ready to give up his life rather than disconnect from God, what does that tell us about ourselves? It's revealing. It's very self-revealing. What it reveals to us is that our core and essence is not material. Our core and essence is godly, is divine. That's what we're really all about. That's what makes us tick. If we're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, our Jewishness, that means that that's who we really are. And if that's who we really are, then how do we express it every day of our lives? How do we express, how do we tap into our core and essence every day of our lives? How do we live that life? How are we in touch with that core and essence every day of our life? When we study Torah and do a mitzvah, when we live a Jewish life, when we live as a Jew, think like a Jew, speak like a Jew, act like a Jew, follow the code of Jewish law, study Torah, do mitzvah, act kindly, at that moment we are expressing our essence, at that moment we are at home. that moment we're truly tapping in and connecting. So this is the idea of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice in Hebrew is called Mesirat Nefesh. Really it should have been called Mesirat Aguf. You're sacrificing your body. You're giving up your body. Why is it called Mesirat Nefesh? You're giving up your life. Because you're expressing what your life is really all about. And what's the ultimate expression of self-sacrifice of expressing your soul delivering your soul to God not by dying for God dying for God is easy it's one moment it's a heroic moment you're ready to make the ultimate heroic sacrifice that's easy the ultimate expression of mesirat nefesh of delivering your soul to God dedicating your soul to God is living for God it's a little more difficult to live for God in your daily life making Judaism a part of your daily life. Every day of your life you should study a little Torah. Every day of your life you should do a mitzvah. You should do something Jewish, act Jewish, think Jewish. Speak Jewish. So then you're expressing your soul. You're expressing your mesirut Nefesh. You're expressing who you really are. They continue.
0: This is also the whole occupation of the souls in the Garden of Eden as is stated in the Gemara and in the Zohar. Just as the soul in heaven has no other occupation apart from Torah and prayer, so too a person occupied in Torah and prayer in this world is immersed in it to the exclusion of all material needs and desires. As such, he is then renouncing all materiality and is totally surrendering his soul to Hashem. This comes as a result of the love of Hashem concealed within every Jewish heart. Except that there, i.e. when souls in Gan Eden are immersed in the letters of Torah and prayer, they delight in their apprehension of and absorption into the light of Hashem.
1: The third Lubavitcher Rebbe once told one of his Hasidim, he was known as the Goyen of Lublin, Rabbi Zalman of Lublin, he was a genius, a Tamudic genius. And uh, the Tamar Tzedek told him that he asked him, do you know Mishnayot by heart? Mishnayot, you know? And he says, no. He says, take some time and study the words in Mishnayat. He knew the whole Talmud backwards and forwards. but right? He didn't know the Mishnayat, the word for word. He says, go study Mishnayat by heart. And he explained. He says, when the person dies, and until the person is buried, so the soul no longer exists in the body. What does the soul do? What does the soul do then? He says, the soul thinks words of Torah. So someone who all his life is thinking Mishnayot by heart, words and letters of Mishnayot, whenever he walks down the street, he's always saying to himself, words of Mishnayot by heart. Then the soul will continue thinking these words. After he passes away, the soul will be engaged, immersed in the words and letters of the Torah. Because all his life he was thinking the words of Torah And therefore he continues to think the words of Torah And these words and letters of Torah Guide the soul in a, in a cloud of light Guide it to, to, to its ultimate destination And it was interesting This Goen, the, the Lubliner Goen Passed away on Friday And because it was right before Shabbos They couldn't bury him till, till after Shabbos So, he, so the Tzema Tzedek was talking to him personally because he was, it's very painful for the soul to be. It's a very, it's a very special thing when the person is buried immediately, because the soul doesn't have to wait. And here, the soul was stuck in this world for all this time from Friday, which for the soul seems like an eternity, because the Rebbe told him he should constantly, he should learn Mishnayot Bal learn Mishnayot by heart. So he was kept the soul busy until, until, until he was buried. So he says, look at him. He says, when a person passes away, what's the, body, what's the soul thinking about? The soul no longer thinks about Chinese restaurants and doesn't think about anything material, about your bank accounts and about your, your IRAs and uh, stock market. What does, what's the soul thinking about? All the soul is thinking about at that time, as he says, he's thinking about one thing, the words of Torah and the words of prayer. Which are divine. The words of Torah are divine words and God's thoughts. And by the soul constantly thinking the words of God, you become one with the words of God. And this is what the soul this is the occupation of the soul in the Garden of Eden. What what do they do a whole day in the Garden of Eden? There's no mitzvot in the Garden of Eden. It's not the world of action. This is the world of action. In the Garden of Eden there's no more mitzvot. We are living in the world of action. That opportunity is gone once a person passes away. The children could act in their behalf. The loved ones, the children, their merit, they can act, they can do a mitzvah, and the merit goes to, towards the loved one, the parent. But the soul itself is occupied all day in learning, in God's Torah, in God's words. Um, so too, when a Jew, in this world, while you're alive, when you study Torah and do mitzvot. You're occupied by the same thing that occupies the soul after you pass away. It's when you're pure soul, when you're all soul, no body. So your whole being is occupied with, immersed. You're totally immersed in holiness, in godliness, and that's who you really are, and that's what you're really all about. So this is the real meaning of Mesirat Nefesh. Maseret Nefesh means I'm giving up my soul for God. If this is my truth. And this is my truth, and this is my core, and this is my essence, and this is my identity. Because the fact that your soul continues doing this after 120 years, that lives on forever. That's who you really are. The body is temporary. The material engagements and occupations are very temporary. That's not who you really are. That comes and goes. What remains forever? What are you really all about? Soul. Godliness. Your relationship to God. That's what reality is. That's your reality. There is no other reality. So if that's my truth, I don't have to wait till 120 years, God forbid. You don't have to wait to pass away to discover what you're really all about, what life is all about. I can live that life today.
0: You know, they tell this story with the
1: uh, famous analogy that someone heard that in this faraway land there's, the streets are paved with diamonds. So he goes, he goes, faraway land, and he can't believe it everything he heard is true the streets are paved with diamonds he immediately fills all his pockets his bags with diamonds <laughs> he's, he's a billionaire he's starving walks into a restaurant he orders the fanciest dish comes time to pay pay no problem takes up diamonds the waiter laughs at him he must be joking in this, war, in our country diamonds has no value Diamonds are diamond dust. You walk down the street, you can scoop up as many diamonds as you want. So how do you pay? What's the currency here? So the currency here, he says, is schmaltz. How do you translate the... Fat, fat. Chicken, chicken, fat. chicken fat, chicken fat. Chicken schmaltz.
2: With
1: chicken? Chicken, yeah, that's the currency in this country, chicken fat. He doesn't have any chicken fat, so he, he, he promises he'll pay back. He starts working, and God smiles at him. He has his muzzle, and he becomes the wealthiest... He accumulates the biggest bank account of chicken fat. <laughs> anyway, he writes home to his family. Many years later, he becomes a billionaire of chicken fat. He says, I'm coming home. And you never have to worry for the rest of your life. <laughs> We're set for life. Anyway, he hires, buys the biggest ship, the biggest boat. And he fills all the boat with all the chicken fat that he accumulated. Anyway, the family hasn't seen him in years. The whole family, and he wrote such a letter that he's coming with all his wealth. So every cousin that he ever knew or didn't know came out of the woodwork. Everyone came to greet him. Fourth cousin, fifth cousin, everyone was there. But as the boat gets closer and closer to the dock, the stench emitting from the boat, from all that chicken fat that's been on the sea for so long, it was just unbearable. So first the fifth cousins leave, and the fourth cousins leave by the time the boat comes into the dock it's so unbearable the stench is so unbearable the only ones that are there is his wife and his kid and he comes off the boat and he's smiling he says you're set for life I'm the billionaire I'm the richest he says what do you have what's what's the stench coming from the boat he says what are you talking about stench this is schmaltz this is chicken fat This with this we can live for the rest of our lives our children will never have to worry forever he says, what are you talking about? <laughs> he says, it's chicken fat. Chicken fat is worthless by us. What's chicken fat? Especially it's rotten instead. Gold. You went, you traveled to pick up some gold, some diamonds. Do you have any diamonds? He says, diamonds? I didn't have time for diamonds. I was busy accumulating chicken fat. <laughs> he says, maybe you have something. You check this pocket. He says, yeah, I think I have one little pebble, one little diamond. Says, this is the only thing that's of value to us. And that's the the nimshal, the uh, moral of the story. Is we come into this world, and this world is paved with diamonds, opportunities that you don't have in heaven. Opportunities to do mitzvot. Every opportunity to do a mitzvah is a diamond. They would give everything they have in heaven to be able to do one mitzvah. They don't. They can't even wear a tshits in heaven. Nothing. No mitzvot in heaven. Zero. In this world, every day we have so many opportunities to mitzvah. Another mitzvah. Each mitzvah is infinite. But instead of accumulating diamonds, we spend our time and our energy accumulating chicken fat, <laughs> money in the bank accounts. After 120 years, you come to heaven. Can't take anything with you to the grave. In heaven, that's not currency. Do you have a mitzvah? Do you have a diamond? Diamonds? Who had time for diamonds? Who had time for mitzvah? I was so busy with my four hundred one ks and busy with my wealth and busy with this. That's not. That's not currency. That's like the um, Reichmann, The Reichman, you know, the uh, very wealthy family, the Reichman family. So um, when when he passed away. He told, right, he told, uh, he left it in his will. He said that two letters, they should open up after he passes away. They opened up the first letter. And he said, in uh, the second, yeah, he said, open up the first letter. And um, in the first letter, it says, I want you, to, I want to be buried with my socks. So they came to the Hebrot Kadisha, the, the <laughs> burial society was in charge. And he said, no, this is not the Jewish custom. We don't bury anyone with their socks. You don't, you don't yeah you're not allowed so you don't understand my father's a billionaire he wants to be buried in socks and he's going to be buried in socks and they said I don't care who your father is he could be a trillionaire that's not the Jewish custom we're not going to bury him in socks and they tried and they spoke to every rabbi in the world and he says no I'm sorry he was buried without the socks they felt terrible that they couldn't fulfill their father's wish and, and then he said the second letter they should open up after his burial so he opened up the second letter and the letter says, you see, from all my billions, I couldn't even take a sack with me. <laughs> Look at this. So, my children, don't get so caught up in accumulating your wealth and materialism, and that's how you define yourself, that you have no time to study Torah. You have no time to do a mitzvah. You have no time to develop and cultivate your personal relationship with God in prayer. You have no time to do an act of goodness and kindness. Remember what life is all about. Don't get so caught up in the chicken schmaltz and you forget about the diamonds that are at our fingertips. So this is what Messiris Nefesh is. Messiris Nefesh means living for God, remembering that your soul, your soul is your identity. Your relationship to God, this is your identity. This is what it's all about. And every time you do an act of Torah, every time you do a mitzvah, it's an act of Messiris Nefesh. Because it's really a divine act. Why are you doing this? Why are you praying? Why are you studying Torah? Why are you doing an act of goodness and kindness? Naturally, a person should act selfishly. You should be self-centered and self-absorbed. Why are you doing this divine deed? It's only because God said so, and therefore I'm doing it, because it's the right thing to do. So ultimately, everything that you do is really a divine act. Every time you do an act of Torah and mitzvah, it's an act of self-sacrifice. You're not doing it for selfish reasons. You're doing it because... You're a Jew. You have a soul. You have a marriage relationship with God. God wants us to do it. It's the right thing to do, and we do it. End of story. If I'm ready to give up my life for this, surely I'm ready. I'm ready to live my life for it. Not only give up my life. For it. So every time you're doing it, it's really a miniature act of self-sacrifice. It's nothing dramatic. I'm not. I'm not dying, and I'm not. It's not an heroic act. But in a way, it's, it is an heroic act because for a person to rise above his ego. And to really study Torah. Take a few minutes every day to study Torah. Take a few minutes a week to come to a class and learn Torah. For a person to get up every day and put on the tefillin. For, for a woman to get up and to light the Shabbat candles. Any mitzvah that we do, give tzedakah. It's really a heroic act. It's really an act of self-sacrifice. Why am I doing this? It's not, material, it's not a materialistic act. It's not an egotistical act. It's a purely spiritual act. It's a soul act. It's Mesir Nefesh. I'm dedicating and devoting my soul to God because that's what my life is all about. That's what I am all about. That's my true essence. That's my true nature. I just happen to be human. I happen to have human experiences, but I don't confuse, even though it occupies most of my time. Most of my time, I'm engaged in the material world and eating and sleeping and doing business. Most of my time and energy is engaged in the material world. But that's not who I am. That's not my home. That's not where I feel at home. That's not where I come alive. When do I come alive... When I'm totally divorced from the material world, when I'm studying Torah and when I'm doing mitzvah, how much more so on Shabbat? When for 24 hours, I'm total, it's total immersion in spirituality and holiness and godliness. But that's when I come alive. That's the highlight of my week. Even though it's only one day a week, six days a week you work, one day a week is Shabbat. But that's my soul. That's the soul of the week. That's what I'm all about. That's my identity. So that's what Mesides Nefesh means. Mesides Nefesh means what is my true identity? Who am I really? What am I really all about? What are my priorities? And this is the greatest gift that a person can give himself. And this is when you're truly free and liberated, when you're in touch with yourself, your deepest self, your truest self, not your superficial self. Most people are not in touch with themselves. Most people have no clue who they really are. You know when you know what you're really all about? In the moment of truth. Most people are not in touch with themselves. In the moment of truth, you discover a whole new reality. You discover a stranger. Everything you thought was important to you suddenly means nothing. Everything you had no time for, I had no time for my family, I had no time for this. I was so busy with the chicken schmaltz, I had no time for anything real. And then you discover, I don't care about this. The things that I care about in a moment of truth, I had no time for. So the biggest gift you can give yourself is to be true to yourself. Live a life that's consistent with your deepest self, with your true self. That's what self-sacrifice is all about. It's really dedicating your, yourself, delivering your soul, and dedicating yourself to your soul. It's every act of Torah and Mitzvot, every Jewish act, every time you think like a Jew and speak like a Jew and act like a Jew and do the right thing, it's really an act of self-sacrifice. You're expressing your soul. You're expressing your truest and deepest self.
2: And though this delight is lacking in this world,
3: the manner of service remains
1: the same. So he says the difference is in heaven... When the, soul, when the soul passes away, when the person passes away, there you enjoy, you comprehend, you sense godliness, it's pleasure. While in this world, when we're alive, it's more of a struggle. To study Torah, you have to push yourself to come to a class and study Torah. You have to push yourself to put on the tefillin. You have to push yourself to give tzedakah, to write that check or give, put your hands into your pocket and give tzedakah. You have to, it's not a struggle. It's not so pleasurable. Unfortunately, materialism is something that's pleasurable. That we sense the pleasure, we feel the pleasure. Instant gratification, junk food, junk lifestyle. that, That pleasure we feel right away. To say that we are in ecstasy when we do something holy and godly and spiritual. Let's be honest. No, we don't feel that ecstasy. Our soul feels that ecstasy. Deep down, the soul is ecstatic. The soul is on fire. The soul loves it. And we feel like a million dollars. No one ever regrets doing a good deed. It's difficult, it's a struggle, it's a sacrifice. But at the end of the day, you feel like a million dollars. When you do it, sin, it may feel good for the moment. It's like eating junk food. But then it gives you a heartache, and it gives you a stomachache, and you feel terrible. At the end of the day, you feel guilt-ridden, especially if you're Jewish. So it feels good for the moment, but at the end of the day, it feels hollow and empty. But nevertheless, we don't feel the ecstasy. It's only after 120 years, when you pass away, that the person the soul is no longer confined to the physical body. Now the soul is in tune with spirituality, is in tune with godliness and holiness. While we're alive, we're not so in tune. So it's a struggle, but that's fine. But the truth is, it doesn't take away from the reality. The reality is that this is deep down, this is what you're all about. This is deep down, this is what you want. This is what you want in life. So yes, it's an act of self-sacrifice. That's why it's an act of self-sacrifice. If it's being true to yourself, why would it be self-sacrifice? Because you have to sacrifice Because it's a struggle Because it's not so obvious It's not always obvious that that's what you really want You have to listen to yourself deep down Your inner voice To discover your true inner voice What you really want deep down in life What your life is really all about You have to think about it In a moment of truth What matters to me, what doesn't matter to me Which is revealing to yourself It reveals to me what I'm really all about And therefore Let me base my life on that truth let me live my life. I don't need a crisis to remind me what's important. Just knowing that in the crisis, in the moment of truth, this is how I would behave. This is how what my, my true identity emerges at that moment. So let me live my life today accordingly. Let me live a Jewish life. If God is so meaningful to me that I'm ready to die for God, then let me lead a godly life. Let me live for God, not die for God. But that takes meditation. That takes thought. That takes concentration. That takes realization. So it's a struggle. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not instinctive. After a person passes away, it's natural. It's instinctive. The soul senses godliness, feels godliness. It's not, no longer limited to the body. But when we're living in the body, it's a foreign, alien, hostile environment, which is the antithesis of godliness. We live in a very egotistical, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed world. We don't naturally, instinctively respond to godly things. We don't get excited about godly things, unless we're tzaddik. One or two in every generation, the tzaddik is naturally in tune with godliness. He gets excited and is ecstatic every time he does a mitzvah, every time he studies Torah. But 99.9% of us, for us, it's an act of self-sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our egos, sacrifice ourselves, rise above our nature, and do the right thing. So that's why it's an act of self-sacrifice. But it's a genuine act because you're being true to your true self, just like you will be after 120 years. That's when your true self really emerges. Your true essence. That part of you that never dies. That part of you that lives on forever. That's not the material. Material things come and go. It's transient. It's ephemeral. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That, that's not what I'm all about. The part of you that remains forever. The part of your loved one that you remember forever. The soul. That's what I'm really all about. So therefore, let me, yes, let me make that self-sacrifice knowing that I'm going to be true to myself, true to what I'm really all about. It's every time you do Torah and Mitzvot, it's an act of self-sacrifice. Okay, continue. This is why. This
2: is why it was ordained by the men of the great assembly that one recited the beginning of the morning blessings before
3: the prayers. By Hashem, the soul would give you it into me, and you would eventually take it from me.
1: This is one of the first blessings we say. In the times, he actually said this in bed. Now, first we wash nagavaser. We get up, we get dressed, and then we start. It's the first prayer we start with. We're thanking God for returning our soul. We deliver our soul to God at night. Our soul is tired, we're tired, we're exhausted. And God, like giving His suit to the cleaners, all wrinkled, and comes back in the morning, the suit is clean, sparkling. God returns our soul refreshed, ready, tackle the new day. So we thank God for this wonderful miracle, this wonderful favor, that even though we owe God, and maybe we don't deserve, and yet God returns the soul every day, refreshed. But that part makes sense. What doesn't make sense is we say, God, thank you for blowing our soul into our nostrils. And then you say, and you will eventually take my soul from me. What are the pressing Why am I saying this in the morning when I'm praising God for giving, returning my soul? Why do I mention the fact that one day I'm going to die? What does that have to do with the idea of the blessing? We're thanking God for returning life to us. All rejuvenated, refreshed. So why all of a sudden do we throw in and one day you're going to <coughs> take my soul from me? What's the connection? And that's what the Altar is going to explain now.
3: That is to say, in as much as you have breath it into me and you will eventually take it from me i therefore as of now hand it over and return it to you to united with your oneness
1: so what we're saying is that since one day you're going to take my soul from me and my soul will return to god return home so therefore now today while i'm alive and healthy and vibrant and full of energy, I will dedicate my day and dedicate my energy to return my soul to you. Not by dying, but by living. Living like a Jew. Living a Jewish life. Because when you live like a Jew and you live a Jewish life and you study Torah and do mitzvot, you are returning your soul to God. It's the same effect. Just like after 120 years when your soul returns to God, And your soul is no longer connected to the body. Your whole being, the soul, returns back home to its natural place which is a total immersion in, in spirituality and godliness. So now, today, while I'm alive, I will dedicate my energy to return back home. How can you return back home while you're still alive? Through studying Torah and doing mitzvah. Leading a Jewish life. Putting on the tefillin studying a little Torah, giving tzedakah, making it part of my daily life. Every single day of my life, I should put on tefillin every single day of my, except like, Shabbat, and holidays, every day of my life, I study a little Torah every day of my life, I say a prayer every day of my life, I give tzedakah. That's how I return my soul to God while I'm alive. Wouldn't we rather return our soul to God while we're alive and healthy and vibrant than have to return our soul our final return? It's much more pleasant. Much better this way. But this is, this is the idea. I want to return my soul. Because I realize since I'm here, it's only transient. This is, this, is not, this is not my home. I'm here in a mission. I'm here for a purpose. My identity is my soul. That lives on forever. My soul existed before I was born. And my soul will continue to exist after I die. So my essence, my identity is my soul, not my body. Not my bank account and not my body and not my houses, not my possessions. That's not what it's all about. That's external. That's superficial. What is my identity, my being, my core, my essence? That lives on forever. It's my soul and its relationship with God. So let me live my life accordingly today. Why do I have to live an egotistical life, a materialistic life? That should not define me. I should define my life by my soul. Let me return my soul. Reconnect my soul. Let me return my soul back home. When does the soul feel at home? When does the soul come alive? When I do soul things. Like studying Torah and doing Amit. This is self-sacrifice. This is giving my soul over to Hashem.
3: As it is written to you, O Lord, I lift my soul in order to unite it with God. That is, through binding my soul with your soul, my speech with your speech by means of the letters of the Torah and prayer which I uttered. and especially when one addresses Hashem in the second person as it is in the faith, blessed are you and the life.
1: So when you speak to God person to person, face to face, Baruchata. So I am delivering my soul is connecting with God. It's person to person. My consciousness is touching God. It's like a personal relationship you have with God. When a person makes a choice, a moral choice, you say a thief who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. But a person who has the opportunity to do something wrong and makes a personal choice because of your conscience. I am not going to do this because God asked me not to do this. That's person to person. That's a personal relationship. Baruch Atah, I'm speaking to God face to face. God, you asked me not to do this. And only because you asked me, I can get away with murder. I can, I'm not doing the sin, not because I can't do it. I could do it. I'm tempted to do it. But because God says no is no. That's a personal relationship. Baruch Atah. So that's delivering my soul to God. Mesirat Nefesh, I'm, I'm delivering my soul. I'm dedicating my soul to God. I'm bringing my soul back home. so every time you talk to God face to face you have that personal intimate relationship conscience to conscience and every time you study Torah which are God's words your mind is wrapped in God's words your mind is occupied with God's thoughts and God's words and God's ideas which is written in his Torah you are connecting with God the soul feels at home that's a pure act of self-sacrifice every day of your life every time you study Torah every time you pray it's an act of self-sacrifice what a, what a thought you don't have to die for God every time you pray and you, so every time you make a blessing you say Baruch Ata. it's an act of self-sacrifice every time you put on tefillin it's an act of self-sacrifice every time you give tzedakah it's an act of self-sacrifice what a thought what an idea you don't have to die you can live and you're connecting and you're acting genuinely and you're bringing the soul back home. We can accomplish this every day of our life. This is the preparation for the day. This is the... We set the tone for the entire day. This is the first, first prayer we say in the morning. So we're, we're setting the tone for the entire day. I'm going to dedicate myself and dedicate my energies and dedicate my soul back to God.
3: With this preparedness to surrender his soul to Hashem through engaging in Torah and prayer in the same spirit in which a man surrenders his soul to Hashem before his demise, one should begin to recite the morning benediction, Baruch Atta, and so on. benedictions being the beginning of the prayer.
1: So just like when a person passes away, it's the ultimate surrender. You're surrendering your soul back to Hashem. The soul is going back to its source. Going back home. So every day, the first thing we do in the morning is surrender our soul to Hashem. It's yours. I'm sending the soul back home. The difference is while I'm alive and while I'm healthy. And this will guarantee that you'll stay alive very long and you'll be healthy. Because we know that all illnesses today are psychosomatic. When a person is miserable inside, it shortens your life. Physical illness is just a symptom of internal illness. When your soul is restless, dissatisfied. But the healthier you are as a Jew, the more you surrender your soul to Hashem. The more you deliver your soul to Hashem and you connect with Hashem, the more vibrant you are as a Jew, the healthier your soul is, the healthier you are as a Jew. The more Torah you learn, the more mitzvot you do, the more kindness you do, the more tzedakah you give, the soul, the more vibrant you feel. Spiritually, it will translate into physical health. When your soul is content and your soul is satisfied, your soul is, feels meaningful and has a purpose in life and your soul is excited and ecstatic internally. In the deepest, deepest self, your soul is excited and on fire and happy and content because it's doing what it really wants to do. It feels at home. It translates into physical health. It translates into success. It translates into blessings. Because the two are connected. You can't separate your spiritual, your material from the, from the spiritual. For a Jew, they go hand in hand. So The healthier you are spiritually... The more the soul feels at home, spiritually, the more your soul feels at home in the body. And it will lead to a happy life. And the proof is, look at the Jewish people. Look at the longevity of the Jew. We've never left the front pages of history. Where the mighty Romans and the mighty Greeks disappeared. Footnotes in history. And yet, every Jew that's alive today is a walking mirror. Because we were faithful to Torah and Mitzvot. We faithfully, through thick and thin, kept the Torah, kept the Mitzvot for 3,800 years. And you know what? It works in the real world. Why argue with success? We're still here. Not just in heaven. Here, the physical world. Because the more connected you are, the more in touch you are with yourself, with your truest self, your deepest self, with your soul, then it translates into material success. So this is the first thing we do in the morning. We deliver our soul to Hashem. That's an act of self-sacrifice. God, it's yours. I am yours. I'm connected.
2: Similarly, with this preparedness, one should also begin a regular course of study immediately after prayer the word of the sages from the house of prayer literally the house of assembly the house of study as with prayer this regular study session should also be preceded by the resolve to surrender one's soul wholly to God
1: once you make this once you have this awareness once you make this decision that you're going to surrender your soul to God and you're going to place yourself in the same position that your soul will be after 120 years you're going to bring your soul back home What's the first thing you do? You pray. And immediately you study Torah. Because through prayer and studying Torah, and also we give tzedakah before we pray. So you have all three things. You have good deeds, you have prayer, the three pillars that the whole world rests upon. Good deeds, studying of Torah, and prayer. So you're connecting with God. So that's the first thing you do. The first thing you do in the morning, before you read the New York Times, before you do anything, before you watch your TV show before you watch the news before the first thing you do in the morning you got to take care of business the first business the first order of the day is before anything before you do anything materialistic i'm surrendering my soul to god i'm reconnecting i'm recentering i'm refocusing i remember what i'm all about i remember what life is all about i'm coming back home once I'm centered and focused and come back home, now I can go about doing my business. Once I prayed, I put on the tefillin and I prayed. Once I studied a little Torah, <laughs> I gave a little tzedakah. Now I'm ready to go out. Go out into the world. Because I know what defines me. The world can never define me. Materialism can never define me. It's what I do. It's what occupies most of my time, but it's not who I am. So first I have to get straight. Who are you? What are you? Who are you? What's life all about? Before you answer that question, you can't go about going about your business. Once you answer that question, this is what I'm all about. This is my being. And I deliver my soul to Hashem and I'm back home. Now I have the strength. Now I can go out and do what I have to do. Fulfill my mission. So
2: also in the course of the day, before one begins to study, such duration at least is necessary. As is known that in the case of Benoni, the essential preparation and for the onset, where it is indis- indispensable is before the beginning of
1: prayer. This is in the morning. The first thing you do in the morning, the first blessing, you say the neshama, you deliver. You're not just saying the words. You understand what you're saying. You're aware of what you're saying. And you deliver your soul to God, which is the preparation for the prayer, the coming prayer, and the study session, which immediately follows the prayer. And the tzedakah that you give before the prayer. But then in the middle of the day, when you have a break, in the middle of the day, you're going to study Torah after you went about your business. So again, you have to stop and think. You have to constantly be aware of this. This is not something that's natural or intuitive. You have to stop and meditate on it and reflect on it and become aware of it. Once again, refocus. Because it's very easy for us to get out of focus. Reality becomes very blurred. You have to constantly... Bring yourself into focus. what's my life all about? What's my being? Who am I? And you have to be centered. Once you bring it into focus, then you can start learning. But if you're not into focus, just to start learning without any sense of the divine that I'm about to do something holy or something godly. If learning just becomes a habit, just becomes an intellectual exercise because it's interesting material, it's, it's fun for the brain, and, but there's no sense of the divine. That's not learning. Learning has to be lishmah for God's sake. I'm learning Torah because it's holy, because it's divine. So before you learn, you have to stop and think. You have, to become, you have to be aware. Don't act like a robot. Don't become mechanical. That you Don't act thoughtlessly. Whatever you do, think before you do. We say a prayer. We say a prayer. You stop, or stop and think before you do. You say a blessing. You Stop and think. Even before you drink a cup of water, you stop and make a blessing. Become aware of what, what you're about to do. Everything has to be accompanied by awareness. Never act like without thought, thoughtlessly. So before you pray again, think, think once again, who am I? My soul. After 120 years, mm-hmm. I deliver my soul to God. My soul goes home. My soul is here today. I am my soul. This is who I am. So let me deliver myself to God now. By studying, whatever I'm going to study, the next 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, in the middle of the day, in my lunch break, I have a chance to study. I go on the internet, I go on the phone. Today you can listen to lessons in Tanya all over uh, 24-6. Every, every opportunity you have, you can study. But before you study, realize what you're doing. And that gives you a little excitement. That gives you a little focus. It's not just I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's something very meaningful. I'm, doing, I'm about to deliver my soul bring my soul back home and then go ahead and study Torah
2: this is the same as in the case of writing a bill of divorce or a scroll of the Torah where for their own sake is an indispensable requirement and should this intention be lacking they are invalid
1: intent is very important if the scribe writes the Torah scroll absentmindedly and does not write the Torah for the sake of heaven, I'm writing the Torah for the sake of the mitzvah, writing a Torah, it's, the Torah is not valid. That's why you have to have a God-fearing scribe, because no one knows what he's thinking. You know, If he's not a true God-fearing person, no, and his thoughts were not proper, he wrote God's name without thinking that I'm writing this for the sake of the holiness of the Sefer Torah, it's invalid. No one will know it. It could be a beautiful writing. No one will ever know that it's invalid, or the tefillin that you're wearing. If you don't buy it from a kosher scribe, from a God-fearing, a reliable scribe, it may look beautiful. But it's not kosher. Because intent is a key part, an essential ingredient in the writing. It's not just the writing. has to be proper and a beautiful writing. The soul, the intent that the scribe had in mind at the time, his presence of mind, is an essential ingredient. But how do you write, and at the same time constantly think that I'm writing for the sake of heaven? He says it's sufficient.
3: And it is
2: sufficient if at the commencement of writing a Torah scroll, the scribe says, I am now about to write for the sacred purpose of the scroll of the Torah, or in the case of a bill of divorce, for him and for her, and so on. Similarly, it is sufficient for a Ali to have the intention of for its own sake at the beginning of his
3: study.
1: So just like when you write the Torah, the the scribe can write the Torah all day. It takes a year for a scribe to write a Torah. A good scribe, maybe nine months. Every day, writing every day from morning to night. Um, So he can't think every moment that he's writing, he's thinking it's enough. In the beginning of the day, he says, I'm writing the Torah for the sake of heaven. For the holiness of the Sefer Torah. And that's enough. That can carry him all day. So too, when a person is studying Torah, your mind is busy studying. You're studying a deep passage of the Talmud. Your mind is occupied. You have to understand the piece of Talmud. You have to understand it honestly. Does it make sense to me? It doesn't make sense to me. There's a question. There's an answer. So your mind is busy understanding the logic of what you're learning. So you can't be thinking at the same time, I'm thinking of the logic I'm learning and I'm thinking about... I'm I'm uh, dedicating my soul to God. I'm, I'm delivering, uh, delivering um, my soul to God. I'm surrendering my soul to God. It's not something... It's, you can't be studying Torah and at the same time be thinking about surrendering my soul to God. So it's enough at the beginning of, this, of the study session just to have in mind I'm about to study Torah. With this act of studying Torah I'm surrendering my soul to God. Just like after 120 years, when I make the final surrender, the ultimate surrender, this is a miniature act of surrender, and then go ahead and plunge plunge into the Torah study, engage your mind 100%, understand it, understand it honestly, figure it out logically. Does it make sense to me? Doesn't it make sense to me? But it's enough that at the beginning you had this intent in mind, and that's that's okay. Just like by the Torah, and just like by the divorce, when they wrote the divorce. Also, the scribe is busy writing the divorce. It's enough that he says at the beginning of the divorce that I'm writing it for the sake of this woman who is who's being divorced. It has to be specific. He has to write the divorce specifically for her sake. can't be another person with the same name. can't even be, even, even if it's another wife with the same name. It has to be specifically for this individual person. So it's enough that you say it in the beginning, at the outset, and then you go about doing what you have to do. So too with, with studying Torah. So this is the intent that's an essential part of, the, of a Jew's studying Torah. And again, this all comes back to the revolution of the Hasidic movement, of the Baal Shem Tov, that it's not enough just to do the mitzvah mechanically and by rote and thoughtlessly. And just studying Torah because it's, it's a pleasurable activity, it, it sharpens your mind, it always has to be a divine element in everything that you do. You always have to be thinking about Hashem. A Jew has to constantly be thinking about God and about your relationship to God. It has to permeate everything that you do, especially when you're doing something godly, like studying Torah, which is the divine mind, the divine wisdom, and doing a mitzvah, which is God's commandment, and doing an act of, love, of goodness and kindness, which is also emulating God, and praying, where you're talking directly to God. So there has to be an awareness, a sense, an awareness of is That I'm doing this, I'm surrendering my soul to God, I'm reconnecting my soul to God. And by studying Torah and doing mitzvah. And then when you have that intent, then the mitzvah is alive. The mitzvah has a soul. The mitzvah has an energy. It has wings that can help your soul soar. It helps the mitzvah soar. It elevates, it brings light, it brings life, it brings energy, it brings godliness into this world. So, by introducing your personal subjective involvement, not being a robot, not just doing it thoughtlessly and like fulfilling a burden, an obligation that I must take care of. When Judaism becomes like paying income taxes, you know, like a burden, that's something you must do. <laughs> That's, that's not Judaism Judaism has to be with soul with feeling with sensitivity and then the mitzvah comes alive the mitzvah has a soul the Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation there's never been a generation like ours and there never will be we are the transitional generation the last generation of Golas, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have. And what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas, once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away. In his famous encounter with the Baal he tells the Balshamtav that when your wellsprings springs and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Altar Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Bashemtav by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbis sacrifice themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh. The Shabbos of all the Rebus published over 6,000 Tanyas literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya. We ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alta Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for curing, and a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now, when we'll learn Tanya from the Rebbe himself.